When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome everyone to Positively Trek. I'm just one of your hosts, Dan Gunther. With me as he is every week is Bruce Gibson. Bruce, we've got an exciting week this week. We do because we have new Star Trek. Not just a new episode, but a brand new Star Trek series. Oh, that doesn't happen too often. More often lately, I have to say. More often than I was expecting earlier in my life. But still, it's still a pretty special occasion. It's a huge occasion. Again, I mean, we've talked about the past, and I just remember after 2005, will we ever get new Star Trek again? Then we got some movies, but it's like, will we ever see Star Trek on TV? And not only have we been getting Star Trek on TV, but we've been getting multiple new series in the last few years, and that I never expected. Yeah. Now, this uh, we're talking, of course, about the premiere, the debut of Star Trek Prodigy, which is now the fourth new Star Trek series currently on the airwaves or on the streaming waves or however you want to say it these days. The fourth of five new series. So we're still going to get another new one in the near term next year with Strange New Worlds. But we want to focus today on Star Trek Prodigy because... In today's episode, we are going to be talking about the premiere episode of that series, Lost and Found. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned for that discussion. We're going to do that a little later. Before that, though, we do have a couple of small news items that we do want to mention in this week's episode. So, uh, first of all, we've talked a little bit in the past about the Star Trek documentary series The Center Seat, upcoming on the History Channel, and we now have an air date, an official air date for the beginning of that, which is this week, November 5th. So if you are in the market for lots of Star Trek, we've got a new TV series on and a new documentary series starting right away. So Bruce, I want to talk a little bit about this. First of all, you weren't that impressed with the trailer for this series. That said, are you going to be tuning in on November 5th? The answer to that question is yes, I will tune in November 5th because, you know, I don't really judge things by trailers for the most part. So I know what they were trying to do with the trailer to try and make it like, ooh, there's some controversy. There was some steamy stuff going on behind the scenes. Got to check that out. But I'm more impressed with the press release. That got me more interested because it felt more straightforward as going through the history of Star Trek in the past 55 years and, and taking an in-depth look. So, yeah, I'm going to definitely check it out. Maybe not Friday. It's, yeah, November 5th, which is a Friday night for me. I might watch it that night. But if I don't see it that evening, I'll definitely watch it that weekend. All right. Well, I'm excited to talk about our thoughts on that maybe on the next episode or an upcoming episode for sure. Uh, it's a 10-part documentary series, like I said, that debuts this Friday, November 5th, 2021. And the series is hosted by Gates McFadden and executive produced by her as well. That's pretty exciting. I I love her, of course. And to see her in the host's chair will be kind of interesting for sure. Now, there's something interesting here. It says six additional episodes also available on network subscription video service History Vault. So, Bruce, you're in that industry. Have you heard of the History Vault? This is kind of a new one for me. I'm not really familiar with History Vault until this came out, which surprises me that I haven't heard about it. But uh, I haven't looked into it to see when it launched. But 
This doesn't surprise me because even where I work, we're always looking to create these new subscription services that are complements to your networks. So, yeah, this doesn't surprise me, but, you know, yet again, it's another thing to subscribe to. It's $4.99 mm-hmm. a month, but there is a free trial. So, you know, you could wait till all the episodes are out and watch them really quickly during a free trial or just subscribe and enjoy all the content that's on there. If you love the History Channel, I'm sure there's a big amount of value in this product for you. Yep. Lots of episodes about ancient aliens and, and documentaries about old World War II. <laughs> that's kind of what I associate the History Channel with. I don't know if that's fair or not, but uh, I haven't watched a lot of History Channel in a long time. But, you know, if you're really into the History Channel, that would be an interesting service to subscribe to. So I'm sure they will definitely find their audience. Uh, let's move on to another bit of really positive news, I think, for the Star Trek fan- franchise, and that is the Saturn Awards, in which Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Picard picked up three awards recently. So, uh, first of all, Star Trek Discovery won for Best Science Fiction Series, which is huge. I mean, they were up against Doctor Who, Lost in Space, Pandora, Raised by Wolves, and Westworld. So some heavy hitters there. Really happy to see Discovery win that that prize there. I'm actually surprised that they beat out Westworld. Believe me, I'm not complaining. I agree with their their choice. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Well, very well-deserved. Uh, there's a great tweet by uh, Michelle Paradis, the executive producer and co-showrunner. Uh, she tweeted, from the entire Star Trek Discovery family, thank you, Saturn Awards, for this incredible honor. What a privilege to be able to accept this tonight on behalf of Paramount+, Plus, CBS TV Studios, Alex Kurtzman, and our amazing writers, producers, directors, cast, and crew. So huge congratulations to Discovery there. Uh, they also, I should say, beat out Star Trek Picard, which was also nominated in that category. But Picard did pick up an award. Patrick Stewart won for his work on the first season of Star Trek Picard, beating out another big group of heavy hitters. So congratulations to Patrick Stewart there as well. But that wasn't the end of the awards for Discovery either, because Doug Jones won for Best Supporting Actor on a TV series. So uh, great to see Star Trek being recognized with the Saturn Awards here, which are for science fiction, television, and that sort of thing. So uh, huge wins for our Star Trek family members. I'm looking at a picture here of Doug Jones at the awards. He was actually there to accept his award. He's wearing a really cool outfit there. It kind of takes me back to my days of high school when I was in band, in the marching band. (laughs) (laughs) But it's cool. I like it. Definitely. uh, You know, I, I always wonder, you know, at these awards, people always ask, uh, who are you wearing, right? Who's the designer of what you're wearing? And I wonder if he got those questions with this uh, with this outfit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is there a red carpet for this event? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah, I, I don't know. But uh, definitely stands out from the crowd. I mean, he already stands out from the crowd because he's like a foot and a half taller than everyone else there. But uh, he definitely with his outfit choice, I think really stands out as well. Yeah. I I love the fact also that Star Trek beat out in some categories against Outlander because my wife's a huge Outlander fan. So, Mm -hmm. but I see that Outlander did win. I think it was a best actress award went to an Outlander person, which I don't know who that is right now (laughs) because I don't watch Outlander, (laughs) but let me just say almost, almost every month, my wife says to me, when does the new Outlander start? When's the new season of Outlander? And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm not the Outlander podcaster. I'm not on Positively Outlander. <laughs> She's always asking me about Outlander. So the Outlander actress did beat out Sonequa Martin-Green for Best Actress. Now, Martin-Green did win the Saturn for her work in the first two seasons. Uh, so she was beat out this last season, unfortunately. But, you know, happy news for your wife and her love of Outlander, though. Absolutely, yes. I'm, and I'm glad Sonequa won before. So we're, we're sharing the love throughout all the different shows. Absolutely. Well, with that, that's kind of our little bit of Star Trek news this week. Tune in every week for the main Star Trek news items each week. And following that will be our review of the latest episode of New Star Trek airing. 
And of course, this week we have a big one with Star Trek Prodigy Lost and Found, the series premiere. So we will be right back with our thoughts on that episode. Thank you for listening to Positively Trek. And we want to give a shout out to our patrons on Patreon, including Carl Morris, Joyce Marin, Jim Stoffel, Dave Garcia, Rick Young, and Paul D. Kinnear. We want to thank you for your contributions to the podcast. Now, if you would like to be a patron on Patreon, you can join us at patreon.com slash positively trek, where you get early access to episodes, exclusive content, shout outs, and associate producer credits. So thank you again for listening. And now let's fly. So it was just chance you escaped at the very moment Fugitive Zero sabotaged the Manacle Antenna. Whoa, now hold up. Is this what this is about? You think I'd hitch my fate to some rebel fighter? I know you'd do anything to get out of here. Fessa, you two are in cat boots. <laughs> What's so funny? Cat boots? You mean cahoots? So, Bruce, here it is. We are finally going to be talking about the new episode of Star Trek Prodigy, the series premiere, Lost and Found. I got to ask, how soon after this episode was available did you watch it? Oh, that's a good question. I'm trying to remember because um, it was just yesterday. I watched it in the morning. I remember getting up and... I had some things I had to do and it was like, okay, I got to get these things done before I watch it because, and that was my motivation to get these things done. So I would say an hour after I got up, I started watching it and I also timed it so that my wife and my daughter, you know, were off to work and school. So I was, I would be uninterrupted. So I think it was around eight o'clock in the morning. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. I went to bed really late the night before and just before I went to bed, I was like, I'm going to check Crave and see if the episode's available. It won't be yet, I'm sure. But, you know, I'm going to check. And I checked and sure enough, it was there. So I didn't watch the whole thing. I exercised some self-control. I was like, I'm going to watch it to the opening credits. And then I'm going to go to bed. And I watched it. And I was like, mostly I wanted to watch the opening credits because we've gotten that uh, kind of leaked before and I wanted to see it with the titles and stuff. And I watched the first little bit and then it just had the title card and then went into the rest of the episode. So I didn't get to see the opening credits, but I still stopped it there. I still <laughs> had some self-control. That's really good self-control. <laughs> I don't think I could have done that. I mean, I could have, I guess, but as soon as I'd started, I'd want to watch the whole thing. Like, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, was it hard to fall asleep? Because now your mind's got to be racing and thinking about it. I was thinking about it a bit, but I, I, I fell asleep pretty eagerly because I knew I'd be able to watch it in the morning. I think I fell asleep almost quicker because I was like, oh, I want the morning to come so I can watch the rest of this episode. So let's talk a little bit about the that, that little bit that I watched at first, the teaser slash introduction before that title card. This part of the episode, this is the first glimpse we get of Star Trek Prodigy other than like the pre-release materials and stuff. And it's pretty high action, high stakes. We were introduced quickly to our main character, or at least our main character for this episode, Dahl, and his circumstances. He's a prisoner of this labor colony, basically. And he's trying to escape. What did you think of this whole sequence? And, and did it get you pumped for the rest of the episode? <laughs> I knew you're going to ask me this question and I already know the answer to it. So I, it did get me pumped. I was already invested in the story right away and I was enjoying the action scenes, but I was getting that feeling that I get when I watch Star Wars stuff. It felt very hmm. Star Wars to me, especially when he's being chased and he's trying to maneuver through things and try to get through the doors that are closing. To It just had that feel to me like I was watching Star Wars The Clone Wars or something like that. And I mean, that's not a bad thing for me. Not at all. I mean, because I love Star Wars, but I did get that vibe in the beginning of it. Yeah, I I had some interesting reactions watching this first little bit because, again, like I said, I watched just this little bit and then sat with it for quite a while. And I honestly, at this point, wasn't sure what to think because there weren't a lot of 
traditional Star Trek elements in this opening bit. But I definitely kept an open mind because, you know, I knew what was coming as far as the great things we've heard from people involved with the show and people more in the know and that sort of thing. What I found interesting about this sequence, especially since, of course, we're a Star Trek podcast and we pay attention to every little tiny bit of news that comes out, we get brief glimpses of almost all of the main characters in this sequence. Just very briefly, we see Rock Talk, we see Jankum Pog, Zero, and Murph as Dahl is kind of making his way through. So that was kind of fun to pick that out and know that there's more to come with those and stuff. So yeah, at this point, I'm kind of going, hmm... I'm not sure how I feel about this yet. Not negative, no negative feelings, but just kind of like, I need to see more. So it was, like I said, tough to turn it off and go to bed because I did definitely want to see more at this point. You're like, hmm, I don't know what I think about this yet. Maybe I should sleep on it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, I, I can totally see what you're saying. Because like I said, I was feeling that Star Wars vibe. I'm going right into the episode. I was going to continue watching it. But I didn't also, you know, didn't think it was a bad thing because this is a Nickelodeon show and this really is a Star Trek geared towards a younger audience. So you're going to want to have that kind of characters that are going to feel young and action and kind of bit of fantasy to it. And Star Trek is open to that. You know, we don't have to have a series that's based on the bridge of a starship exploring strange new worlds, right? I mean, this is a mm -hmm. totally different take. This is non-Starfleet officers, so it's going to feel different. Yeah, no human characters. That's interesting to me. That's one of the things that, that really piqued my interest early on about this series. That's something that's never been done. So let's, let's talk a bit about the animation style, because... I am just blown away by the animation in this show. The uh, the kinetic movement of everything, the design of everything. It's not, I, I feel like some people use the word stylistic and, and there's like a stylistic element to it, but it doesn't feel like everything is in service to that style. It feels like it's just very well done animation first with kind of a stylistic overlay to it, if that makes sense. I, I don't know if I'm saying this quite right. Well, you're but saying like, it better than I could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just feels like it's not like, oh, we have to make it look this way. It's like they're saying, we need to make this look good and amazing and beautiful. And we'll also, you know, add our little stylistic flourishes to it kind of thing. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. It. It's not going for a look that says, hey, if you see this character, you're going to know it's Star Trek. Whatever that mm -hmm. look would be for animation. Of course, we had the animated series and it doesn't look like that. But I remember when we had our first look at these characters and images, I guess, you know, earlier this year. And I even think I said back then, it kind of reminded me of, was it Star Wars or something? I think I did say that. Like, it just... I don't want to keep saying that it feels like, okay, let me just put it up front right now. When I watched this episode, I did not walk away feeling like, oh, it feels like Star Wars. The beginning did to me, mm -hmm. but I, I guess what I'm trying to say is it doesn't look Star Trek. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? It has its own feel. It's got its own animation style, its own artistic approach. Of course, the starship that we see later looks like Star Trek, of course. But I like that it looks different, you know? It just it has its own identity. Yeah, I, I definitely appreciate that. And and I, I was just blown away by the visuals and stuff. And we're going to jump all over this episode. So spoiler warning, of course, if you've not seen this, you should watch it before you hear our thoughts. But the views we get of this starship, it looks like a ship from a live action series like it it looks real it has weight to it it ha it feels very real and and just the surface details of it and how it moves and that kind of thing like this didn't feel like a cartoon it did not feel like an animated adventure and by the end of this episode i'm immersed in this and i'm in this world and it feels as real to me as watching discovery or deep space nine or voyager or something like that yeah does that make sense to you yeah no i agree especially yeah when you're seeing the ship fly around it feels like i'm just watching yeah discovery 
or any of the other Star Trek series. There's a lot of things in this episode that make made me feel like the, the Kelvin universe, the J.J. Abrams type movies, especially mm-hmm. the music had that kind of feel to it. There's a bunch of different feels to it. Now that we're talking through it, you know, it's a mix of things. It's like the old, the new, and some from others genres into here. And it's got it. Yeah. It's got its own feel to it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm digging that feel like I'm really into it. So let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about the story. So we've been introduced to doll. He's a prisoner of the diviner, this uh, mysterious person who's in charge of this Tars Lamora place that, that he has all these uh, prisoners at and they're mining for something. We don't know exactly what they're digging down to find something and there's also this fugitive on the run, Fugitive Zero, and the Diviner wants this person. And of course, uh, the Diviner's ultimate goal, we find out, is to locate this Starfleet vessel that'll become central to the plot by the end, the USS Protostar. So uh, what are you thinking of some of the setup here and, and how, you know, we're, we're getting just like little hints of what's going on? There's definitely a mystery at the heart of this, for sure, that we're not getting all the answers to. Yeah, the Diviner, that whole storyline, that feel to me with uh, his his robot guy there, you know, it's it feels very much like a somewhat a fantasy element to it, which I like. And again, we've had some of that in Star Trek before. But then the whole search for this ship just has me wondering a lot of things. First of all, of course, it's the common thing that everybody's going to ask. Right? Like, how did the ship get there? Why is it there? You know? Why mm-hmm. is he looking for the ship? How does he even know the ship is somewhere in there? Why is it taking them so long to find it? You know, I would almost think there's some technology that they'd be able to scan, but it sounds like this area is fairly large, obviously, if a ship is buried in it somewhere. And then how does he know about the Federation? You know, and because they're in the Delta Quadrant. There's just so many questions I have that I'm just kind of keeping them in reserve because I'm thinking, well, this was just the first episode. I'm hoping we get answers to these things as we go along. Yeah. There, okay. There are a number of questions that I'm I'm curious about. And I've, I've kind of added a section at the end. And I, I feel like this will be a regular section on our shows. And it's it's basically predictions and theories. So I will. We'll. we'll We'll get to that. I don't know. I don't know that I have any theories yet, but I have lots of questions like you do. So yeah, we we have this character doll and he gets teamed up with Rock Talk, who we'll meet later. You know, we we don't know her name yet, but uh, basically she just communicates in deep throated growls because that's another thing that I thought was interesting is all of the prisoners are denied translator technology. And most of them can't communicate with each other because they're all different species and that sort of thing. So that that lent an interesting kind of twist to what's going on here. And uh, while they're teamed up together in the like deep parts of the mine, there's this accident and they discover the protostar buried inside this huge geode, basically. And uh, we got our first glimpse of this Starfleet chip. And I thought that was really interesting how they did that, where... We don't get to see the whole ship until the end. We just see this kind of saucer section and the ramp and stuff. Uh, what did you think of of this first glimpse of the protostar here? Yeah, we didn't see the whole ship, like you said. I didn't really think about that too much now that you mentioned it. But I guess because I've seen it already, so I didn't really think that mm. much about it. I think the thing that really stood out to me, which of course then we've seen also before the series premiered, is the stairs leading to the bridge. And all the windows around the bridge, it just seems very vulnerable to me <laughs> to attacks, you know. <laughs> but that is interesting how how you're seeing from underside and you're looking up like it's this grand presence. Like, you know, wow, what is that? You know, that's the reaction the characters give. And it's like they walk into the belly of the beast, you know, of what this big, great thing is. And from their standpoint, it makes sense that we don't see the whole ship at this point because they can't see it either. You know, it's a mm-hmm. mystery to them. So keep it this grand thing until it takes off and flies off. And that's when it makes its reveal. It's like, here it is. Here it is in all its glory. So it's a great way of introducing the ship and then 
portraying it later as it flies out into space. Yeah, that reveal was, I, I, I thought that was gorgeous. I loved that as we just get little hints of it and then, you know, we see it in all its glory and then we get that gorgeous shot of it flying through the waterfall and <laughs> it's just some yes. beautiful And everybody's cheering it on. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That was great. I want to talk a little bit about a character we haven't mentioned yet, and that is Gwyn, uh, the Diviner's progeny, his daughter, or or some relation like that anyway. She's got kind of a position of authority, sort of, in this place, but you get the feeling that she's just as much of a prisoner as the others are, right? She can't leave either. She's a part of some master plan that the Diviner has that, that he hints at a little bit, but we don't really get elaboration on that. What did you think of Gwyn? I, I, she's a really mysterious character, and I'm really eager to learn more about her. Gwyn reminds me of, and I'm assuming she's a teenage, you know, late teens age range somewhere in there, where she's always been imprisoned in her home. This is her home. And she's ready to break out because she's finding herself and who she is and she's becoming an adult. And I feel that she is being held back, obviously, and she's feeling that, but also not knowing what's going on. And I think she looks at Dal and as kind of a friend and he's talking about exploring. He's almost like the teenage kid that's like, hey, let's just get in our cars and we're going to go somewhere. And she's like, no, I have to stay here. I have responsibilities. I have chores. I would love to go out and just have fun with my friends, but I have chores to do. It almost has that sense to me, you know? And (laughs) I think she's probably the most complex character that we're going to see in this series because her race apparently is dying, you know, her species, she's the last of the two. And yeah, what is her relationship with the diviner? Is she really his daughter? What is it that he's planning for her? What does he need her for? I mean, he's sick, obviously, or something. He can't do much. So she's the person that I think he's relying on hope to do whatever it is they're trying to do, I guess, to bring their species back. I don't know. Mm. I mean, because why does he need the ship? Yeah. And why does he need her? Is he, I mean, if there's just the two of them, I don't know how they can bring their species back unless he's just out for revenge and he Mm -hmm. wants to use her for that. It's interesting you say that she represents hope because, of course, the diviner has that line hope has no place here. So it's interesting that, you know, there's this this like evil quality to him that is he's he's got these plans and that sort of thing but to him of course he's not evil he's got some end goal in mind that he needs Gwyn for and like you said yeah they're the last of their species that's obviously going to play in somehow for sure and yeah there's this awareness of the federation i think he says at one point that he wants to keep gwyn from learning about the federation as long as he can or something like that and like what's that about that's interesting so yeah there's there's a lot of question marks here and it's kind of hard to talk through them without knowing where things are going but it's definitely got me intrigued for sure yeah and i don't understand why he doesn't want her to learn about the federation while they're looking for a starship a Federation starship. Mm-hmm. I mean, eventually he's going to find the ship, which has now happened, and she's going to learn about the Federation when they find the starship, unless his plan was to find the starship and then like lock her away so she never goes to the ship or sees it. I don't I don't know. It's like there's so many questions. That's the problem. You know, it's it's yeah. hard to really evaluate this. Yeah, and I, I wonder if they were going to use the ship for cross purposes to the Federation kind of thing. So if she learns about the Federation, she would start to like sympathize with them, but he has plans against the Federation, maybe, or something like that. I don't know. I'm just kinda spitballing here but yeah exactly it's it's gonna be an interesting season and then we're it's gonna end and we're gonna go ah now we have new questions we have to wait a whole nother season for well okay so some of the other characters that we have here we've mentioned fugitive zero a little bit but they're a a medusan uh who were first introduced in the tos episode is there in truth no beauty they're the species that if a humanoid looks upon them they'll go mad 
So they're inside some sort of uh, containment suit or unit. In that original episode, Ambassador Kolos was the Medusan and he was just kind of carried around, or sorry, they were just carried around in a box. Yeah. Which we see a similar box here. Yeah, we get to see that very similar box. That was kind of cool. I was like, oh, wow, they, they're really paying attention to the details and, and, and continuity here. And Zero, in the meantime, has constructed a suit for themselves, uh, which, you know, is very impressive given that they had no hands. So, you know, I, I think that deserves some recognition. There. Right. <laughs> what, okay, so that's the question I have then, because we see their suit, we have the arms, we have the legs. But when they're on the ship, the legs are missing. They're just floating. And when they're off the ship, the legs are back. And there's no explanation to that. And I was like, I kept wondering, was I missing something? Yeah, I don't know. I wonder if, if they're just like detachable and, and they were stowed in an overhead compartment while, <laughs> while they were on the ship or something. I don't know. Yeah, I, I was wondering that myself. Because I thought, well... If they don't need the legs, then why do they have them? I don't know. I was just that I just noticed it was when they're on the ship, there's no legs. When they're off the ship, mm -hmm. there's legs. I mean, it's the same thing as when you're outside, you're wearing your shoes, you're coming inside, you take your shoes off. <laughs> I guess that's the reason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That that just doesn't want to track anything on the carpet. That actually makes sense. That's... Exactly. It's a cleanliness <laughs> thing. <laughs> oh, I love that. So yeah, their part in the episode, I found a lot of fun, just the kind of frank way they have of speaking and that sort of thing. Like when the ship is falling initially and they're just kind of trying to hit buttons to try and figure out and they, they manage to get the ship started and flying. It's like, oh, that's the correct button. Should make note of that <laughs> or something like that. It was great. I love their dialogue throughout this episode. Yeah, all the characters are fun. I enjoyed them together. I think it's going to be interesting to see their dynamic as the series goes on. Well, we have the engineer, Jankum Pog, who's a Tellarite, uh, <laughs> voiced by Jason Mansukas, who I love. I, I just love this actor. And and yeah, he's got some fun moments as well. You know, definitely one that I can see being a fan favorite of a lot of people as well. Very outspoken, uh, kind of the, you know, the one that yells a lot, I guess. Usually in this episode with enthusiasm, though. So uh, he was a lot of fun. A really interesting presence here as well. I want to see Pog hanging out with Scotty. Those are two engineers I think would really drink it up and have a good time together. Rock Talk, of course, we've learned outside of the, the show that's not mentioned here, but she's a Brycar, a very young Brycar. And, and I love that reveal, even though we knew, of course, having seen trailers and stuff. But up to a certain point, she just growls and, and that sort of thing because there's no translation. And Dal calls her he and him because you know big rock creature who's angry but then when the translator gets activated on the protostar of course we have this young girl's voice coming from rock talk i just that juxtaposition of the huge hulking body with the the small girl's voice i thought that was perfect i love that i do too and like you said we knew that coming into this that that was the case but what i loved about this episode is what we heard before the translators as you were mentioning the uh, the growl or whatever because to me it's so funny to think that when the translator comes on that rock talk actually has a little girl's voice so when we hear rah, 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 like that that is the sound of a little girl's voice for this mm -hmm. species, <laughs> you know, yep. so what does a big badass dude sound like? You know? <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. I, I loved that surprise of it. Like, of course, it wasn't a surprise when we hear her translated voice, but when we first see her. And she growls and that's all we get. Like for those of us who watched the trailers and, you know, ate up every little bit of pre-release information, that was the surprise. I thought that was kind of fun. Yeah, that was the surprise for us. Yeah, that, that was that was a good one. I like that a lot. And then she finds a companion at some point called and she calls him Murph. And this is D. Bradley Baker's little blob creature character. So <laughs> what did you think of Murph? Because this little, this little blob of like toothpaste or whatever he is, I love him. <laughs> All I kept thinking about 
anytime Murph made a sound, I kept thinking of D. Bradley Baker at the mic. <laughs> like, yep. just trying to picture him trying to make all these little sounds and doing this. It's, <laughs> it's so crazy. But the character's so cute. You know, this is going to be the character that we're going to see in toys or whatever on the shelves, if we see anything on the shelves. I'm just curious to know more about what Murph is. And well, I also want to know what, you know, species Dal is, because they don't even, Dal doesn't even know who he is. But, you know, what Murph is. And didn't I see something on Twitter that someone said that's associated with the show that this is a very obscure Star Trek reference? I'm glad you brought that up because I did want to share this. So, yeah, uh, Aaron J. Waltke, who works on the show, uh, did tweet out a picture of Murph with the caption, For the record, no one has guessed what Murph is yet, and I'm delighted. It may be the most obscure Star Trek reference ever conceived. So I hadn't paid much attention to what Murph is or anything like that before seeing this tweet, because I was like, Oh, something we've never seen before, but apparently it is a reference to something in Star Trek. So that's pretty cool. And, and people followed up with him in the Twitter thread. I did look this up and somebody asked, uh, is it at least something we've seen on screen before? And he said, uh, not to my knowledge, or I don't believe so, or something like that. Interesting. So it might be something that was just mentioned in an episode or a movie or something like that. And then I had the thought it could be something that was only ever mentioned in a novel or something like that. Because, of course, we have the Brycar, which Zach Kebron from the New Frontier and the Starfleet Academy books, that's what Rock Talk is. So... They're not above taking references from non-canon sources as well. So I, I don't know myself. I have a couple possible contender guesses, but nothing that I'm like really confident about or anything like that. Interesting. Yeah. I, I'm, I had the same thoughts that you just said. It could come from a novel because the Brycar comes from the novels. So it could come from there. could come from a comic, could come from one of the video games, but the fact that he said we haven't seen it means that visually it wouldn't have been in a comic or a video game. So, it, yeah, it could be in the novels and, of course, a reference in one of the episodes or movies. So I have no clue. So the one thing that floated to the top of my mind after this and I started my brain going was and, and again, I'm. I would not put money on it. It's just a random guess. But in the episode, The Trouble with Tribbles, the Klingon accuses Kirk of being a Denebian slime devil. And I'm like, ooh, slime. Hmm. Maybe. Again, just a random guess. I don't know. Like, if that turns out to be correct, I'm not going to take a victory lap or anything like that. I'm just like, oh, that could be kind of... The, you know, something that was referenced and never seen. I don't know. Well, I did see some people guessing that and friend of the show, Aaron Harvey was saying, well, no, it can't be. And he would post an image of what apparently a Denebulian slime devil looks like because it was on a, a pad or like on, on one, I don't know which episode. Oh. See, there's a there's an old book called um, Worlds of the Federation that right. did a conjectural uh, Denebian slime devil, which is, of course, non-canon. Uh, but if that showed up in an episode somewhere, which I wasn't aware of, uh, that could be... I'm going to do something we've never done through one of our recordings. I am sharing my screen with you. Can you see what I'm... Oh, okay. Up? Oh, so that it did end up on screen somewhere there. Okay, I see. In, in, I'm assuming... Keiko's classroom is where I'm guessing that might be from. It looks or, like yeah, or, something like Or a it. TNG classroom, maybe, or something. Right. And then... That's cool. Yeah, and then someone has created an image in memory beta that he used that is kind of based off of that. Yeah, so that's the image from the uh, Worlds of the, of the Federation book, which oh. I loved as a kid. That was one of my favorite books. So, yeah, it could be... I, I know in the past they've said that like graphics on Elkar's stuff in the background weren't necessarily canon, but this one's a little prominent. I guess you could say maybe, but I don't know if, if they'd be beholden to that necessarily because you can't even make out the words Denebian slime devil on that or anything like that. So, well, just the words devil, you know, slime devil. 
I mean, it's like, it doesn't seem to fit, right? Yeah. But that's what makes it so great <laughs> because this is such a cute little purry little tweety thing. And oh, it's a devil. Like, it would actually be fun if that were true. Yeah, that would be kind of neat for sure. I don't know. That was just a random thought. I, I, you know, yeah. And well aware definitely of the previous designs of that creature. So, yeah, I don't know. The one thing of the, about this character I will say, I was like, oh, cute. You know, kind of background doesn't really do much and that sort of thing. But at like the climax of the action when they're flying the protostar out and there's a bunch of debris that's blocking their way now falling towards the ship they need to activate the weapons and it's murph who jumps on the computer panel and manipulates things and activates and fires the phasers so murph seems to know a little bit more than than he or she or they are, are letting on so that was interesting to me that like he manipulates the control panel and it did definitely did not seem like a fluke or an accident. It seemed like he knew totally what he was doing there, which was really interesting. And and I think there's a lot of questions around this character that I'm really curious about. I just assumed that he was just smart enough to figure it out. But mm-hmm. now that you say what you said, it now it has me wondering like, oh, well, maybe it is like, for, why does he not like, is there something he's been on a starship before, right? Or something. That could be, yeah. You know? Or or it could be like you said, and he's just smart enough to have read everything and figured it out kind of thing. That could be too, yeah. Yeah. Either way, that's really interesting for this character. It is. I wonder if we'll ever get to hear the character talk translated (laughs) i hope not (laughs) i remember seeing somewhere that his ability to communicate would would grow over time or their ability to understand him or something so i don't know if that'll be like we'll be able to get translated communication from him or if it'll just be like a an r2d2 or chewy type situation where certain sounds he makes the other characters will will know and respond to them which that could be kind of fun too maybe we'll see c3po show up and translate for him (laughs) that would be fun that would be fun or maybe we do know that gwyn is very good with languages and learns so maybe she'll be the one that starts to be able to communicate with him good call that just blew me away dan that just did it right there because why do you create this character that is really good at translations when you're on a ship that has a translator what's the Mm -hmm. benefit of that there's something they're going to use with that and you're right it could be that she's the only one that understands murk or murph it's murph right or murk what is it murph 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 yeah I got to get used to these names. Whole new crop of names that we all have to learn and and stuff. So, yeah. Well, one character that we haven't talked a lot about yet is uh, the henchman, basically, of the Diviner. This robotic creature called Dreadnought. Uh, What did you think of this guy? He seems... I don't know. I don't know what to think of him yet. He's, He's definitely got an evil side to him, for sure, but... There's there's more to him here, I think. He's got his own kind of agenda or something. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know if he's just a follower and he just does what he's essentially told. But he also does seem as if he wants to, you know, he knows the mission and maybe he'll do it his way. You know, what the goal is. Mm-hmm. And he might just not listen and, and take matters into his own hands. He's got his red eyes. You know, he is quite interesting. And then, you know, fighting Dal on top of the ship like that. I mean, it was just interesting seeing that fight with General Grievous. You know, I haven't... Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Wrong character. That's what... That scene reminded me of General Grievous from Star Wars. I keep bringing up Star Wars, but hey, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I've seen people make that comparison. I I have to admit, I didn't think of it until I saw somebody mention that. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, I could see that. I don't know. He was interesting. Curious to see more. It seems like he's got a lot of... Uh, very interesting abilities, you know, that, that kind of gun that he creates out of himself to shoot down the debris in front of the protostar. There's some hidden abilities that I'm sure we'll see more of there for sure. So yeah. Yeah. Curious. He's going to be a formidable foe for this young crew. I think I could say right now that he's probably the character I'm least interested in at this point Mm -hmm. he just seems like the evil bad guy that's working for the real guy that's making all the calls you know 
but he could become very more interesting to me later. Well, the other character that we get right at the very end of the episode, we get the Janeway hologram or hologram Janeway. She calls herself uh, activated at the end, asking the crew if they need help because somebody said that they'll need help. And, uh, yeah, we don't get much of her, just the little tease at the end where, you know, she appears and is like, okay, I don't know about this crew, but hi, I'm Hologram Janeway, and uh, what do you need? So what did you think of this little reveal? I was a bit surprised because I did hear the reveal was going to be at the end of the episode, but I thought we were going to see more because we've received a clip of a bigger scene where the you know she's asking who's who's captain of the ship and who's in command or whatever, and there's that whole exchange. So I, obviously that's going to be in the next episode. So I was just surprised how short that scene was. But I love how their reaction is just like, uh, what is this? And of course, they've never seen a human before, so that's awkward too. Well, it's kind of interesting that you say they've never seen a human before because there seem to be a lot of Alpha Quadrant species roaming around this part of the Delta Quadrant right now. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that. And I know it's something a lot of people have been bringing up. We know that Dan and Kevin Hageman, they've put together this show. They're very knowledgeable in Star Trek. They have some very intelligent Star Trek people advising them and that sort of thing. So I don't think this is just a mistake. I think there's a reason we're seeing this. But in this episode, we see a lot of Alpha Quadrant species, including Jenkin Pog, who's a Tellarite. We've got Zero, who's a Medusan. Uh, Rock Talk, who's a Brycar. We also see a Cation. They're the cat-type people like Ta'ana or Mares. And we also see a Lurian, which is like Morn from Deep Space Nine. So that's a lot of Alpha Quadrant species. And again, I don't think this is a mistake. I don't think this is just them being sloppy like certain people on the internet will accuse them of being. I think there's a reason for this. And I don't know exactly what that reason is. Like we can talk about theories and and guesses and that kind of thing. But I feel like there's a reason there are so many Alpha Quadrant species at this particular place. And I think it has something to do with the the diviner and what he's trying to do. I don't know exactly what yet, but I was wondering if you had any thoughts on why we see so many familiar Alpha Quadrant species. I have to admit that's the thing that is driving me crazy the most is why are there so many Alpha Quadrant species? And not just that, but why do they all kind of end up together? You know, that just makes it seem as if it's mostly Alpha Quadrant species on this hunk of rock. To your point, though, the Diviner may be capturing... I mean, nobody's there because they want to be there, right? So Mm -hmm. it makes me wonder if through slipstream, transwarp drive, whatever it is, that he has been in the Alpha Quadrant, maybe even from the Alpha Quadrant. I don't necessarily think so. But he has access to go in the Alpha Quadrant, and he captures certain people to bring back as slaves because he thinks less of the alpha quadrant. And so he's not going to enslave anyone from the Delta quadrant. He wants to enslave Mm. those from the alpha quadrant because for whatever reason, he's against the alpha quadrant and the Federation for whatever reason. And again, the question is why is there a Federation ship there too? That's the other character from the alpha quadrant, right? Why there's so many alpha quadrant connections to this place in the Delta quadrant. And all I keep thinking is that he's bringing them there. There is one other thing, and I don't know if I'm just reading too much into this or not, but we get, of course, all these different alien species. They they don't have translators, so they're all speaking different languages. Dahl speaks a particular language that no one else does, and no one really understands him until there's a, a translator, except for Gwyn, who does speak to him in his native language. And... There's a moment that I'm like, this is either just for the sake of the joke, they've kind of fudged this a little bit, or there's a deeper meaning there. It's when Gwyn says to Dahl, you've been in cat boots. And Dahl says, oh, you mean cahoots. And it's kind of funny. What if the language that Dahl is speaking is English and he's originally from the Federation? 
and grew up on a Federation world or something. Yeah, possibly. I think that's kind of getting back to what I was saying is that all these species, the ones that we're not familiar with, also could be from the Alpha Quadrant because we have Mm -hmm. not seen every species in the Alpha Quadrant. We haven't, right? So that's why I think, for example, Dahl is going to go, he doesn't know who he is, and he's going to discover who he is when he gets to the Alpha Quadrant. He's going to find his people, right? Yeah. And yeah, it could be that the Diviner and Gwen are from the Alpha Quadrant. And you're right, maybe he was part of the Federation some manner or had some interaction with the Federation. And it just, the only reason we're in the Delta Quadrant is he wants the ship and that's where it is missing. And he had to go there to go find it. Yeah, it's just the Cahoots Cat Boots thing was like, are they actually speaking English? Because if it, yeah, I don't know. That would be interesting. Well, no, I thought that too, because it's like, well, wait, if if they're just translating for us, the viewer, into English, then this conversation wouldn't make sense, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, did they put that much thought into it or is it just a little joke? And I lean more towards they put that much thought into it. Well, he does say something to Gwen later about, or, or maybe it was before this, he's like, well, let's speak in standard since you seem to like prefer that language. He refers to the language as standard. And I thought, yeah, that was, that was the diviner said that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The diviner says to Gwen about, cause they start speaking whatever language he's like, you know, let's speak in the tongue of standards, which you seem to prefer. And I thought, well, that's interesting. They call it standard because that's what they called in the Federation. But mm-hmm. again, I thought, well, maybe they just mean standard for that or like standard in the Delta, whatever. But again, to yeah. your point, they're going to give it more thought than that. The writers. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And there's little hints and stuff here for sure. I think so. Oh yeah. I'm, I just, I want to see next week's episode. <laughs> yes. Soon. <laughs> Definitely. Well, uh, one thing that uh, listeners will know about me is that I love little Easter eggs and references and that sort of thing. So I do have to say, I loved this one little reference and there's, there's lots of references in this. Uh, first of all, I, I, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. I should mention when we first see the Kazon ship, when it lands, I was like, Oh, that ship looks kind of Kazon. And then the guy came out and I was like, Oh, it's a Kazon. So, you know, nice attention to detail with the the ship designs and that sort of thing it was cool to see a Kazon again for the first time in ages but the the little reference that i loved was they mentioned a star cluster called window of dreams and this was first mentioned in the voyager episode body and soul and that's the i think season 7 voyager episode where the doctor downloads himself into seven of nine's body because they're captured by aliens who hate and decompile holograms that they find when seven of nine is with the captain of that ship they're stargazing and they look at this star cluster so i was like oh that's a nice little reference very very uh obscure reference there nicely done so this windows windows of dreams is in the delta quadrant then yes okay so how does dow know about that unless he's from the delta quadrant well, he was probably at least in the Delta Quadrant when he was captured, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. Because, That's because I was yeah. saying earlier, he, you know, he and these others could have been captured from the Alpha Quadrant. That's why I'm going, well, wait now. But if Dow knows about the Windows of Dreams, then he's familiar with the Delta Quadrant. So, yeah, he probably is from there or, to your point, was captured there. I mean, because mm-hmm. who knows what the technology is at this point that... You know, now we're traveling from the Alpha Quadrant to the Delta Quadrant and back and forth, you know, with transwarp drive, slipstream, whatever it is, because obviously we're seeing this Federation ship in the Delta Quadrant. So maybe mm. it's not that uncommon now at this point that we've getting people going back and forth to these different quadrants. Could be. Yeah. I, I don't know. But I did love the little reference there for sure. <laughs> no. See, that's pretty cool. That's that's why I like talking to you and reading things online, because that's something I would would have missed unless I looked it up myself. Fair enough. Well, uh, let's get into, I guess, uh, anything that we haven't talked about with regards to this episode. It's time for our final thoughts and maybe a rating for Lost and Found. I can't think of anything else I want to talk about. Uh, I'm sure I'll think of something later, of course. But no, I I really like this episode. I liked it a lot. It is not your typical 
Star Trek episode. I, I'm, I don't, I don't like how I'm saying that though, because I, I don't want it to be misunderstood. Like this doesn't feel like Star Trek. That's not what I'm saying, or I'm not really saying. Oh, this is more Star Wars than Star Trek. I'm just saying it's a different approach to Star Trek, right? It's geared towards kids. It's a Nickelodeon production. It's not about non-Starfleet people. It's none of them are human, as you mentioned earlier. It's a totally different take on it, but it still feels like Star Trek. And I think it will start to feel more like Star Trek, too, because as the cast, this this crew, in quotes, starts to learn more about the Federation and Starfleet, they're, you know, we start to hear more about the those ideals and, and such. And as we go to the Alpha Quadrant, we'll see things that even are very familiar to us. And But the whole pacing, the storyline... The questions that it brings up, the animation, the art, it's so beautiful to look at. Everything was top-notch. The, the, the voice acting, the music, I mean, just everything. There wasn't anything in there that I was just like, I don't know about that, or I don't like about that. Except for wondering, why are there so many Alpha Quadrant species in the Delta Quadrant? That's the only thing. So I would give this episode, and the series at this point, because it's only those two episodes, I guess part one and two, I would say five out of five of the glowing little important things that they're trying to dig for. Excellent. I have a very similar rating. So yeah, I loved this episode. I thought it was a really fun introduction to these characters, to this world. The animation and everything is just gorgeous. I love how immersive this world feels and how real it feels at the same time, even though it's animation the ship is beautiful. The characters are a lot of fun. I'm really connecting with them. I mean, obviously, like you said, this show is geared towards children. It's made for a younger audience, but there's enough there for us older kids (laughs) to kind of glom onto and really, you know, get into with this show. So I'm digging it. I hope this continues. I'm really excited to see where it goes from here. So I'm going to give this five out of five massive geodes, each of them with a hidden starship inside, like a kinder surprise. Wow, that's (laughs) massive. (laughs) Well, before we end this episode, I do want to do just another little tiny section right on the end, predictions and theories for next week's episode. So the next episode we have, it's called Starstruck, apparently. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts as to where this might be going next. What do you think we'll see next week? Well, obviously, we're going to see more interactions with Hologram Janeway. And so, and then I think they're going to explore the ship. And I, Starstruck, I, I think that just means that, you know, they're, this is their first exploration of space. And I think they're going to probably visit something that they've never been to and some little adventure happens around that. Nice. Yeah. I definitely see them uh, exploring more of their circumstances at the end of this episode. We had that wide expanse of stars in front of them and they don't know where to go. I think they're going to be at a little bit of loose ends trying to figure out where to go next and what their mission's going to be Uh, learning a little bit about the Federation from Janeway. And this might be the episode that by the end they decide to hoist their sails and and set out towards the Alpha Quadrant, maybe, and the Federation. So I don't know, but uh, really, really excited to see where the series goes from here. I think this is a really strong start. And uh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited for this series. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, uh, join us next week when we talk about Starstruck. And, uh, but in the meantime, Bruce, where can people find you online? I'm on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. That's Admiral with the underline Rex. I'm also on Instagram at just Admiral Rex. And then I'm occasionally, well, I should say I'm occasionally on Star Wars Report, but I haven't been lately, but I'm sure I will be sometime soon. And then also occasionally have been guesting on Literary Treks. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kurtrats and on YouTube.com slash Kurtrats Productions. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Positively Trek. Reach out to us, PositivelyTrek at gmail.com and join our Positively Trek discussion group on Facebook. 
We'd love to have you join the conversation there. And of course, if you are financially able, we would love to have you support the podcast at patreon.com slash positively trek. But if that's not in the cards for you, we love just having you listen to us each week. So thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you in the next episode. Until then, as always, stay positive. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.